Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Today, we are nearing the end of our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Next week is going to be the last week in this series, and then in October, we'll be starting a new study. But for today, the title of the message is Decisions and Discernment. Decisions and Discernment. It's been said that the average adult makes about 35,000 decisions each day. 250 of those decisions surround the idea of food. And so if you go out to eat, maybe you have a menu in front of you and you have a whole bunch of choices to make. Or you go to the grocery store, you go to the refrigerator, you go to the pantry and you say, what am I going to eat for breakfast or lunch or supper or snack time? And life is just full of decisions. As Jesus is drawing this Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion, he is going to draw attention to our decisions and discernment. And so I want to just jump in here this morning and uh, begin by reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. Your Bible's open in front of you, and here is what Jesus says beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits." The first thing that I want to draw your attention to here this morning is the idea of decisions. Decisions. Jesus has been delivering this mountain of a sermon, right? And most commentators believe that in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them the golden rule. It's kind of like the conclusion of Jesus' teaching here. And throughout this whole sermon, he has been laying out this captivating and life-changing principles for us. Things like, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your tunic, give them your cloak as well. If someone asks you to go one mile with them, you go two miles with them. Don't be angry. Don't look with lust. Don't uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Commit to your marriage vows. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Jesus has been giving all of these heavy principles, these challenging uh, commands. And, And as he draws this sermon to a conclusion, what is it that he wants us to do? Well, he wants us to be meek, to show mercy, to mourn over sin. And in verse 13, he gives us this phrase. He says, enter by the narrow gate. You see, there's something that we need to know about Jesus. He always calls for a decision to to be made. He, He always calls for us to make a choice. 
you might remember that he was walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Peter and Andrew, he sees James and John, and he walks up to them. And what does he say to them? Well, does he say, um, you know, would you guys consider me? Or does he say, hey, Peter, Andrew, James, John, um, would you guys come and admire me? He, He doesn't say either one of those things, does he? He says, I want you to come and follow me. Make a choice. Make a decision. Peter, Andrew left their boats and their nets and they followed Jesus. We read about James and John, about how they left their boats, they left their nets, and they left their father and followed Jesus. Matthew, he gives up his tax collecting job and he follows Jesus. The gospel always calls you and I to make a decision, to make a choice. And so here we have Jesus. He's sort of wrapped up this sermon and now he's kind of pausing and he's looking around at the crowd. And they've come out to listen to him teach there on the hillside. But it's like Jesus looks at all of these people and he says, okay, now what are you going to do? I've laid out these heavy principles and now you have a choice to make. And that's why he is now giving this illustration of a narrow gate. Here's Jesus, and when he asks people to make a decision, he never lowers the standard. Rather, he is always kind of raising the bar. You might remember the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he wants to follow him. And Jesus says, well, uh, do, do you know all of the commandments? And this rich young ruler says, of course I've kept all of them since I was a little, a little boy. Jesus looks at this guy who is wealthy and successful and has everything that you'd ever want. And he says, listen, friend, there's just one thing that you lack. Go and sell everything that you have. Give to the poor. Deny yourself and come follow me. And we know the outcome of that decision that the rich young ruler hung his head low and he walked away from Christ in sadness because of the wealth that he had. Now, what's amazing to me is that Jesus never says, hey, hey, wait, 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 don't go yet. Um, You know what? Maybe I've been a little bit too hard on you. Maybe I've been a little bit too tough on you. I'm just going to lower the bar. You're wealthy. You're successful. I'd love for you to be on my team. Jesus never does that. Instead, he keeps the standard high. And so here we have this incredible sermon with these principles of the Beatitudes and all these things that we've studied together over the last number of months. And what Jesus is, what is Jesus going to do here with his followers, these people who are in front of this multitude? what, What is he going to ask his followers to do? Well, this sermon was never meant to be just praised, but it was meant to be practiced. In fact, there's no point in listening if you're not going to obey. And so in verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus concludes this sermon with an illustration of two paths, two directions to take. He says, you know what, here is my kingdom, this is what my kingdom looks like, and the the, the direction that it's going in, 
and everything else is looking like this, and this is the direction that it's going in, you, you have to choose. It's either one way or the other. And he gives this beautiful illustration here. We, we actually have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen so you can kind of imagine this once. But there, there's one path that's kind of wide. And so, something, some, somehow it kind of seems like an easy path, an easy path to get on, an easy path to stay on. Most of you know that our family, we have a minivan. Now, uh, we've had that minivan for like 12 years now. And minivans, you know... It says minivan, but they're rather large vehicles, and trying to drive that thing down through the streets in the neighborhood, uh, it, it can be really tight because there are cars that are parked on every side of the each side of the road, and and then there, there's cars that are coming at you. What are you going to do when that happens? And so you feel like you're going to hit somebody's mirrors. You, you feel like you're going to just uh, swipe the side of your car and, and scratch it all up. But what I'd like is to have these streets that would just be filled with plenty of room. Plenty of room for everyone to park. Plenty of room for multiple cars to drive by at the same time. And you don't ever have to feel like you're going to hit something. Jesus talks about this wide gate. It's the idea of being very roomy, very spacious. And that once you come through this wide gate, it's also an easy path to navigate down. Like this nicely paved multi-lane expressway. And then Jesus says that on this path that has a wide gate that's easy to travel on, there are many people who choose to go in this direction. It's crowded. And ultimately, it leads to destruction. It leads to ruin. It leads to waste. But... There is another path. This path is a narrow path. It is small. It is hard to enter in. It is difficult to travel on. In fact, it is so narrow that only one person can go down at a time. And Jesus says that that very few people are able to find this path. But this path leads to life. These choices are presented to Jesus' hearers. And the point that he is making here is, listen, you know what? I've taught you about what God's kingdom looks like. Now the question is, what are you going to do with that? Which path are you going to take? Now, what I love about this is that we are not left to kind of guess which way is the better way. We're not left to guess which way we should choose. He tells us right off the bat which way we should choose. In verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate. This is what I want you to do. Choose the narrow way because it's the path that leads to life. Listen, before you make any decisions, you always want to consider the options, right? I mean, after all, you, you want to know if what you're making, uh, what the choice that you're making is a good choice or not. Which is what I love so much about the internet. You, you can go on the internet and you can type in things like, uh, what's the best toothbrush? And you'll come up with hundreds of thousands of reviews on this where you could just look at these reviews for days on end. A couple of months ago, I was looking for water shoes for everyone in our family because uh, we had some water shoes, but they were all shot. They were all ruined. And um, we needed to get some new ones in order to go on uh, when, when we were on vacation. And so... I first went to the store, and I looked for these water shoes, which was a big mistake. They, I couldn't find any anywhere. They, they didn't have any. And, and so I ended up going on the computer and looking it up 
online. So I, I looked up water shoes, and what I found is that there are lots of shoes, water shoes, that had bad reviews. And I, I'm so glad that I was able to read those reviews first. I ended up getting some pretty nice shoes and had some pretty good reviews, and they had a really good price. But you always want to check out your options before you make a decision. And so let's, let's just try to understand here what Jesus means when he says, enter by the narrow gate. Why does he give us this command? Why does he tell us to do this? Verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Listen, if you decide to follow Jesus You need to understand from the very beginning that this is a narrow path. In fact, Jesus says here that the gate to this path is narrow in and of itself. It is small from the start. You might ask yourself, what does that mean? Well, there's only one way to to, to follow Jesus. There's only one way to become a Christian. It's the narrow way. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, where he says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. It's a narrow way except through me. It's narrow from the start. Or John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus would say this. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pastures. This gate... This narrow gate is Jesus himself, and he is how we enter into this narrow way. He's the only one who left heaven and came as a substitute for you and for me. Uh, He atoned for our sin. He atoned for the, the wrath that our sin deserved. Jesus did that for us, and this path that we travel is narrow. It is narrow from the start. Now, this idea of narrow also suggests that that there is a need for surrender, a need for surrender. As I mentioned, the idea of this narrow gate is, uh, in the original language, is that it is hard to enter into. It's restricting. In other words, there, there are things that you need to lay down. There are things that we need to lay aside in order to enter in. And this picture should be easy for us to imagine if you've ever been to the airport before, right? We've all had to wait in that security line. And in that security line, you have to empty yourself of everything that you own. Your shoes, your socks, your wallet, your belt, your laptop, everything that you own. You take it and you put it up on the the conveyor belt. and, And then you can walk through this narrow gate. And so we understand this idea of laying things down, of surrendering. Following Christ on the narrow path, entering through the narrow way, starts with a life of surrender. I think about Naaman in the Old Testament. Naaman was this powerful commander of the Syrian army, but Naaman had leprosy. You can read about it in 2 Kings. But Naaman envisions himself being healed of his leprosy while he still has his uniform on. As a man of stature, a man who's in charge of a group of fighting men, he comes to the prophet Elijah and he comes with this great pomp and circumstance um, riding on a horse with chariots and this whole entourage of people all around him. He envisions himself being healed of leprosy and 
this uniform, he has this uniform on, this, all of his medals are on, these brass buttons, he has these shiny boots and this little commander's hat. But what does the prophet say? He, he speaks to Naaman's servant and he says, listen, uh, you go and you tell Naaman that he needs to take all this stuff off and go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River and then his leprosy will be healed. Well, Naaman runs away and he is furious because he wants to keep his dignity. He wants to keep his authority. You know what? I'm not going to go dip myself in some muddy, dirty Jordan River. And so Naaman, he just kind of takes off and he's mad. But we read about how his servant comes to him calmly and he says, My father, if the prophet had asked you to do something great, would you not have done it? Why not do this small thing? Finally, Naaman comes to his senses. He goes to the Jordan River and in a sense, he takes off his uniform. He goes down. He takes off his pride. He takes off his achievements. He takes off the medals of honor. He dips himself down in the muddy, dirty Jordan River. And when he comes back up out of that water the seventh time, he rises up clean and pure and completely healed. Friends, the narrow way is a life of surrender. It is a life of self-denial. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When we enter through the narrow gate, we don't bring our achievements along with us. We don't bring our pride There is no room in our hearts to cling to the world. We have to surrender it all. Now, not not only is this this way narrow from the start, and not only does it speak of surrender, but there's also this idea of suffering, of suffering. Did you see that in verse 14? It says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. Hard. That that word hard means crushed. Following Christ in in this narrow way is not easy. It's a fight. It's a struggle. It's not easy to turn the other cheek. It's not easy to forgive and not hold a grudge. It's not easy to be a person of integrity and not to be concerned with the approval of men. It's not easy to be committed to your marriage vows. It's not easy to not be anxious and worried. It's not easy to do these things that Christ has laid out before us. It is a fight. It is a struggle. That's why Paul would say this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. This world is trying to press in on you and press you into this mold that they've made. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Suffering. It's hard. Most of us hear these things and it doesn't sound too exciting to us. We're like we're not like you know what um, this narrow way sounds so much fun. It sounds like it would be so great to be on this narrow way, suffering and surrender and submission and sacrifice and self denial. But don't forget where these two paths end. You see, the the wide path ends in destruction, and the narrow path ends in life, life forever, life to the fullest. The problem is that we have to understand the difference between instant, gratifi- instant gratification and delayed gratification. Recently, I, I was talking to someone who told me that they lost 20 pounds. 
And, and I thought, you know, that, that would be kind of nice. But they didn't just lose that weight instantaneously. It wasn't like it happened in one day or, or in one week or one month. No, it took a lot of work. They had to deny themselves from eating certain foods and they had to take a lot of walks and exercise a lot. Last week, our family went to two different block parties and there was food everywhere. I love to eat. There, there were brats and uh, potato salad and pizza and gumbo and beef brisket and cake. And not just any cake, but atomic cake from, from Wolf's Bakery. I mean, food. It was so good and you can just understand why everybody, including myself, was just eating as much as we could. But delayed gratification. I mean, can you imagine going to a party like that and just saying no to all that delicious food? It, it would probably even make, make you a little bit angry. Like, you know what? Just get away from me for, with all that. I, I, I can't watch you eating all that good food when I can't even have a bite of it. But if you're able to show some self-control a few weeks later, you get on the scales and you find out that you have lost some weight, now you can look at everyone else and you can say, oh yeah, now what? Look at me now. It's worth it, but it's delayed. That's the problem. We see the wide gate, the easy road, and everyone else is over there and they're just having a great old time. They don't worry about all of the sins in their lives. They don't worry about pride. All they care about is having fun. And we look over there and we think, man, I mean, the narrow path here, it's, it's hard. It's tough. I mean, this isn't very much fun. It's kind of like this. I, I brought a rope along with me here this morning. And I just want you to kind of envision this rope as representing all of eternity but but then there's this little piece of tape that's at the end of this rope and uh this and the the piece of tape here at the end of this rope it, it represents the span of our lives from from birth until death right and maybe it's 60 years maybe it's 80 years maybe it's 100 years but this is all that we have and so often we focus on this little section right here and we, we make these decisions in life based on what, what's going to happen right here and right now. We, we look at that wide path and everyone else is on this wide path. And we see what they're doing and, and, and what they're deciding. And, and you know, you, you say, why can't I do that? And we forget that life is more than just this little thing. Life is all of this, Right? When we, we make the decision to follow the narrow way, life eternal awaits. Life to the fullest awaits. And so we, we need to have the right perspective. And Jesus says, it's up to you to decide. You have a choice that you need to make. You could say this, that, that we all were born into the wide path. In fact, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so on one hand, we were all born onto this easy path, this wide gate. And each one of us is given the opportunity to make the decision where we say, you know what? I'm breaking away from the world. I'm leaving the crowd behind and I'm going on the narrow way because the narrow way is the thing that leads to life. Real life. Life to the full. Life eternal. 
might remember Moses, what he says uh, when, when he says this at the, near the end of his life. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, and I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. I think that this statement was made and it impacted Joshua, the guy who was like Moses' intern. And Joshua says something very similar at the end of his life. In Joshua chapter 24, in in verse 15, we read this. Joshua says, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, the decision is yours to make. It's a decision that will impact all of eternity. Now what's interesting to me is that in verse 15, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus does something that that might seem to be a little strange, a little odd. Look again at what he says there in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You can imagine the scene. Jesus has painted this picture in the Sermon on the Mount of these two paths to take. One that is a wide path that leads to destruction, and the other that is a narrow path that leads to life. And then he says, beware. Beware means to look out, to be alert, to stand on guard. There are going to be these false prophets. Some false teachers are going to be out there and they're going to tell you that this is the right way when it's actually the wrong way. And and, and so he says, beware because there are false prophets that are out there. First, he says, beware because they exist. They're dangerous, right? It's amazing to me how often this idea, this subject of false prophets comes up in the Bible. And here it is again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this here because false prophets are real. They exist. They are here today. The Apostle Paul would make this statement to the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verses 29 through 31. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to to admonish every one with tears. Paul says, you know what? You got to be on the lookout. You got to be aware because there are going to be some people out there who are going to try to lead you down the wide path and to say, you know what? This is a path that leads to life. But ultimately, it's a path that leads to death. Jesus says, beware. And why does he say that? Well, because these false prophets are dangerous. In fact, he calls them here ravenous wolves, that they are extremely hungry. These false prophets who deny the truth and who diminish the truth are dangerous, and they are seeking to devour something. You might ask, well, why are they so dangerous? I I mean... We, we live in a culture where everyone just does what, what they, they think is right in their own eyes. I mean, they, they believe what they want to believe. Listen, the reason why it, it's so dangerous is because truth matters. 
It's because what God says matters. There is a thing as absolute truth. And so we have to beware because these guys are dangerous. They, they're, they're, they're right. Uh, there's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there's error. So there's these false prophets and they are dangerous, but they are also very deceptive. They're very deceptive. Again, in verse 15, Jesus says that they come as wolves in sheep's clothing and they appear to be something that they're not. They are wolves and they have on these clothes that that they try to make themselves look like the sheep. And so because they're dangerous, because they're deceptive, Jesus tells us to beware, to watch out. Friends, we live in a time and in an age where misinformation is out there everywhere And false teachers are just rampant. And so Jesus gives us this test to help us to discern right from wrong, to discern good from evil. In in verse 16, he gives us an, an interesting illustration where he talks about trees and fruit. And he says this, you will recognize them by their fruit. Because if they're wolves in sheep's clothing, then how are you ever going to know that they're a false prophet? Not, 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 not like they're going to come out and tell you that they are. And so here's this test and, and a test that you can do in order to discern and to recognize if they're real or if they're not. Again, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. He says certain kinds of trees produce certain kinds of fruit. You will We all understand that, right? I mean, you don't go out apple picking and expect that you're going to pick cherries off the apple trees. Or you don't go get some oranges off an orange tree and expect that you're going to find pears on that tree. That's not how it works. Because a certain type of tree produces a certain kind of fruit. And then in verse 17, he says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. So it's not just about the type of fruit that shows the kind of tree that it is, but it's also the condition of the fruit that determines the character of the tree. Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? In this illustration, Jesus gives us two tools of discernment to find out if the person is a false teacher or not, if the person is real or if they're wrong. Now, one of the ways that we can do this is that we can listen to what they're saying. What's this prophet, what's this teacher saying about spiritual matters, about doctrine? What is their doctrine? What, what, What are they saying about Jesus? What are they saying about God and his word? What are they saying about sin and the way to salvation? What are they saying about holiness? So what What are they saying? And does it line up with what the Bible has to say? Because the fact of the matter is is that there are lots of false teachers that are out there today and we need to be discerning. So what are some of the false teachings that are out there today? Well, one of those teachings is just this. You know, the way to salvation doesn't have to be hard. I mean, the way to following Jesus, it, 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 it's just, life is just going to be easy. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your life is going to be easy. There's going to be like diamonds uh, falling from the sky and, and falling right into your pockets. And you know what? You're just going to live this blessed life. But we know from what we've just read that that's not true. The, the path is narrow and difficult. 
Yes, God blesses His people, but life is tough. Life is challenging. Or what about this one? Hell, it's just a myth. I mean, he's not, hell's not real. I mean, God's not going to punish somebody for all of eternity. He wouldn't do that. That's a popular belief today in our world. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Some people say, well, Jesus is a way, but he's not the only way. I mean, he might be good for you, but I have a different way of how I'm going to get to heaven. That's false teaching. We, we take what they say and we match it up to God's word. Does it line up? We test the fruit. But it's not only about what they say. The condition of their fruit also matters. Character matters. Does what they say line up with the way that they live? If their life is a life of holiness, is their life a, a life of godliness and pursuing after Jesus Christ? I hope that you know that this church cares a lot about the kind of pastors that we have, the kind of uh, leaders that we have, the kind of teachers that we have here. And we have a team of elders who are praying and caring over this local body of believers here. That we would be a, a people who would know the truth of God's word and put it into practice in our lives and not be deceived. And if there is error, if there is doctrine that's being taught and that does not line up with what God teaches, we're going to address it. And not in a mean way, but we do it because we love. We, we, we do it in a way where we care for people and we want to be faithful to the Lord. Jesus says, listen, false teachers are going to try to deceive you. They're like wolves who are wearing sheep's clothing, but they actually are not sheep. They're not able to actually grow wool on themselves. And so I want you to test what they say. I want you to test the character of their lives against me and my words. Is what they're saying is how they're living true and consistent or not? Might take some time, but eventually the fruit will reveal itself. Because a good tree has good fruit, but a bad tree has bad fruit. And so in verse 20, Jesus kind of sums up all of this by saying this, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. That, that, that's how you can determine truth from error. What is the product of their lives? What's the product of their ministry? What's the product of their teaching? There's a wide path and there's a narrow path and you have a decision to make. You need to discern the truth. I want to conclude this morning with two thoughts, two words. The first word is the word desire. Desire. Do you desire to know the Lord? I'm not talking about something that's superficial. I'm talking about this deep hunger and thirst to know Jesus, to be consumed by his word and living for him. Do you desire to know him more? Because the truth of the matter is that, that you will never spot a counterfeit unless you know the real thing. And so my prayer is that we would be a people, like Peter said, uh, would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A people who would be rooted and grow down deep and are able to discern right from wrong. A people who are able to speak the truth to other people around them. And so the first word is desire, but the second word is delight. Delight. I feel like a lot of times we're just kind of 
walking around over this past year as if we've been robbed of our joy. That we're kind of bitter and angry and upset. And, and I think the problem is that we're focusing in on the present circumstances far too much. What we need is our thoughts to be focused more on delighting in the Lord. Of focusing on that future inheritance that we're going to receive if we remain faithful to Him. Life! Life to the full! Life eternal! Listen, the path is not going to be easy. Being a disciple of Jesus is hard, but there is great delight in understanding that we are the children of God. And even though the path, the way is narrow, we don't have to walk this path alone. We don't walk this path alone. Jesus is right there beside us every step of the way. Let's pray.